Hey everybody, um, today's going to be a little bit different than some of the other things that I've put out and you know my whole goal and focus in um, doing this podcast is not to um, necessarily like try to be famous or uh, to be known or, or anything of that nature. Um, it's, it's to, to encourage people that need encouragement to, um, to maybe scatter a seed of hope or, or, or light or love to somebody that needs it. And, um, but like I said, today's going to be a little bit different. I, uh, I'm, I'm Doug and I'm a youth minister at our church. Um, and so this is a little bit different of a format than what I'm used to doing. I'm, I'm used to interacting with the teenagers and, um, or preparing, you know, messages that are geared more towards them. And so sometimes I, I struggle with finding a balance for, um, reaching everybody that needs to be reached, I guess. But yesterday I was, I was asked to do a funeral, um, actually I've preached more funerals than I have, um, congregations, which is, I guess, kind of crazy, but, um, but what an honor, right? Where in somebody's, uh, last tribute to this world, they, they wanted you to do the funeral. And, um, a lot of the times it's easy to do that, um, because, you know, they're a, they're, they're a believer or, you know, they're a believer. You, you've seen the light of their life. You, um, there, there's all these different, um, variables, but then there are those hard ones. And fortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, the three funerals that I've done, uh, has been, hard ones. <laughs> They've been hard ones. The first one I thought was going to be so hard, you know, because of, he, he was one of my, my really good friends, you know, whenever I was living a life of addiction and, and slave, slavery to sin and, you know, things like that. And, uh, he passed away at like, I think 36 years old. I can't remember exactly, but, and then my other friend less than a year later passed away uh, he was in the same group as us, and um, he died way too young, and and it was due to living a life way too fast. And this funeral, and I've done I've done other funerals where I've spoke at them and, and things of that nature, but to actually officiate the whole the whole service, this one was especially hard. Um, I had to do a funeral for a lady that, that took her own life. And um, you want to talk about um, humbling. When I spoke at the second friend of mine who's passed away, um, when I spoke at his funeral, um, for some reason she told her husband that she wanted me to do her funeral. And 
um, I talked to her family. I talked to a lot of people in her life, and, and they just all talked about how beautiful she was and uh, her smile and and all these things. But I know at one point in her life, she went through a tragedy of losing one of her her children, and um, the manner in which. And I'm not going to speak on any of those things because they're more personal in nature than anything. But I think that there's situations where somebody else's tragedy can help um, lift somebody else up out of a pit. And I had a youth kid that had taken his own life one time, and um, and his parents he he had started uh, he had started um, uh, exploring and drugs and stuff, and and his parents had asked me if I could, uh, you know, mentor him, uh, help him. And, you know, I told him, sure, I'll, I'll do what I can. And at that point, I was trying to build a business in my life. And, um, you know, I had to pay bills and all these other things. And so, you know, uh, selfishly, um, I mean, I, I helped him. But, like... I selfishly, uh, I, I know I could have done more, right? Now, now, would it have mattered? I don't know. Do I blame myself? Not at all. But anyway, it, it just affected me in a in a in a hard way. Um, I'm not near as hard as the family, obviously, right? But he was in my youth for I don't know eight years and six, seven years, however many. A long time, and uh, I really love that kid. And so yesterday brought back a, a lot of emotions. And and when when she asked me to do, whenever I found out that she asked me to do um, her service, um, I guess if there was, I was allowed the impossibility of characterizing it in one word, it would be um, humbled. I mean, who am I, right? I'm a nobody. I've lived a life of obscurity. I am. Uh, recovering addict and all the different labels that I place on myself and the world places on me. Um, but in the middle of that obscurity, Jesus saw me and and he rescued me. And uh, so I love Jesus because, you know, he, well, he rescued me from a life of addiction. I was depressed. Very, very dark days. I was angry. I felt so empty sometimes. And I guess maybe that's why. Maybe she saw a flicker of light in the darkness. Maybe she knew that, you know, that I understand it. I get it. Uh, I know what it's like to feel the, the uh, walls of life pressing in. So, I guess for me, the struggle is real. And, I don't know, maybe none of that's true. But I can't help but wonder why. Those that are closest to somebody in that situation, uh, I'm certain, are swept up in a whirlwind of emotion. And the question of why, the root question, is it's spelled the same, but the nature of it is so much more complex, depending on which viewpoint you're looking at and, you know, uh, from what angle you see it. But I wanted to share some of the notes that I had. Uh, 
the Lord had led me to. I thought they were, I thought they were powerful. I thought that, um, I thought that uh, the scripture reference could could help somebody. And so, so that's the whole focus of this is to to help somebody. So, if if there's somebody out there that's struggling with um, life, struggling with addiction, struggling with depression, or or just you know, smiling in front of everybody or, you know, will walk into a crowded room and feel like you're all alone. I, I really want you to tune in right now. And, and if you know somebody that is um, struggling, um, maybe even if they don't listen to this, maybe you could utilize some of these points to help them. Um, so I'm just going to read some of the notes that I made. As we walk down the beaten path, we all know is life. The journey takes us down twists and turns that most of the time we can never imagine. There are moments of great joy and triumph as we stand on the mountaintop, far above all the fears and failures that befall others. To contrast, there are times of great sorrow and tragedy as we look up the side of that mountain and beyond seemingly any possibility of ourselves being able to make that climb. Staring far off in the distance, many of us wonder if we will ever be the one that's up high looking down. As a writer of the book of Ecclesiastes made note of, there's a time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 is, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Oftentimes we carefully construct the pattern of our lives to fit neatly in a box that we feel like it should go. Only to have the rug pulled out from under us without warning. I believe that this is a truth that crosses all lines that are drawn in this world. All socioeconomic barriers, racial lines, um, uh, culture class, social class. Economic class, it's all the same. In these times, it can be hard to imagine that there can be a loving God. I mean, how can a loving God allow a mother to lose her son, or a mother to lose her daughter, a daughter to bury her mother, a husband to lose his wife, brothers and sisters to lose family and friends, children to die? It can be difficult to understand, but a certainty in my heart is that God does understand I mean, after all, he did give his very own son as a ransom for this world. Now, in most cases, it may be even impossible to understand. And look, honestly, I, I really, I don't pretend to have all the answers. Most people assume, though, that King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, according to the scriptures, he was the wisest man in the history of the earth. 
Um, and if I'm if I'm right on this, I, I can't remember, but I feel like he was the wisest man. It said that he was the wisest man to ever be on the earth. So uh, pretty wise. I've always found this to be one of the most fascinating books written in the Bible because in Ecclesiastes, because um, after all of the wisdom and uh, wealth that God granted him, he suffered depression or whoever it was. I like to think of it as being Solomon. It just gives me a uh, a baseline to look from. But even if it's not Solomon, it's um, somebody pretty wise. Solomon, like many wayward people, found himself in a time where he was apart from God. He was seeking meaning in, in all the things that this world had to offer. His conclusion, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless is how the book of Ecclesiastes starts. The very first two words and... Um, it kind of takes you aback when you first open it up and, and, and you see that. And you're like, what's going on? This is the Bible. I want to encourage anybody that, that hears this to open the Bible some night when the waves are crashing against the whole of your life. It's almost as if you can instantly see a frantic old man pacing back and forth in front of a crackling fireplace in a time long, long ago. Um... Battling the same things that we do ourselves, even today. It's a short read, but if you start it, I would say you need to read it all the way through. It might be 30 or 45 minutes, but otherwise you'll be thoroughly disappointed. You might find yourself walking away feeling depressed. After all, he talks about how everything is meaningless. How wisdom is meaningless, pleasures, folly, and toil are meaningless. It is obvious that the writer of the book is going through some things. Solomon understood that the struggle is real. And most people know Moses. We tend to think of him as a fierce leader that rose above all obstacles. After growing up as a foreigner in his own home, uh, he never quite fit in. He was raised by the Egyptians in the royal family. But when he found out that wasn't his real family, he was torn between two worlds. He thought about taking the Egyptian's life because he saw him uh, abusing one of the Hebrew slaves that he was doing a righteous thing that uh, he would find favor, you know, with his people. Actually, I think that he didn't think he had been seen, but he thought he was doing the right thing. Well, little did he know that he wouldn't find solace in the people that raised him or with the people that longed to know that he longed to know. He, he never really quite fit in anywhere. Um, so he went on the run. He feared for his life. I think it was like 40 years later, God uses him to free the Hebrew slaves and to rescue them from the grips of the hard-hearted Pharaoh. Anybody that knows the story of Moses knows it's, it's a pretty phenomenal um, story on how it happened. Moses was... Um, Moses didn't want to do it. For one thing, he didn't think he was equipped. And God uses him anyway. And after witnessing miracle after miracle after miracle and the literal hand of God delivering them from the bondage of slavery, now Moses has to deal with a group of rebellious and complaining people. It's God's chosen people. Does any of that sound familiar from today? Like, honestly... 
in America especially, how um, spoiled we are and how uh, all we do is complain. Or we don't ever really do anything. We complain about other faiths, uh, other denominations rather that is, not faiths. There's only one faith. That is a faith built, you know, on Jesus Christ. The foundation that He's the Son of God. That he he, he um, paved the way with being the ultimate sacrifice to atone for our sins and the sins of the world. Um, it's by faith through grace that you can be saved. Um, but man, that struck hard when the Lord laid that on my heart. God's chosen people. But a people who can never be satisfied no matter what's done for them. I mean, literally, food from heaven is provided and they gripe about that. They gripe about everything. After a couple of years of this, Moses can't take it anymore. Numbers 11, 11 through 15, he says, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of so many people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to a land you promised on oath to their ancestors. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too much to bear. If this is how you're going to treat me, then just go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. So Moses, the patriarch, one of the most pivotal men in the history of creation obviously was going through some things to the point that he was ready to give up. So for Moses, the struggle is real. Elijah, much the same, controlled the weather with his prayers. He prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He showed up 450 of Baal's prophets by calling fire from heaven in order to prove whose God was a real deal. And yet Jezebel... Puts a contract out on his life. And he becomes afraid. And depressed. And rather than face the impossible task and trust that God will see him through again. He runs for his life. It's funny how fast we can forget the things that God has done for us, isn't it? I mean. I, yes, even I. Um, am guilty of this. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, I think it's First um, Kings 19.4. He came to a broom brush. He sat down under it and prayed he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Elijah, an awesome prophet that God favored so much that he never even died because God took him, was going through some things. So for Elijah, the struggle was real. We all at some point in our life have moments of fear, doubt, and yes, even failure. None of us are immune to this. Not you, not me. We all have mountains to climb. And sometimes the rocks beneath our feet give way and we fall further than we ever thought was possible. 
I know that's been true in my life. But we also have moments that shine brighter than the sun. We have moments that, that, are, that are filled with beautiful memories that's captured in the hearts of the ones that we love and our own hearts. Um, just so you know, out there I am, uh, I'm kind of retrofitting some of these notes um, as to take away from the personality of the person that, you know, I was at the funeral for because I don't want to, um, honestly, I just want to help people. So I don't, I don't want to, um, open the door to, um, putting somebody else's business out there, I guess. But, um, but the, it's those shared experiences we have. I mean, It's the small details. We all have them. Everyone that's listening to this knows what I'm talking about. It's those moments that would seem trivial and insignificant to the rest of the world, but to us, wouldn't be traded for all the riches in this world. Oftentimes, the things that we think that only affects us reaches far beyond the boundaries that we place them in. And this, of course, is with everything in life. It's the little things. It's a forged bond between a husband and a wife in those special moments beyond the romance. It's not quite understanding how hard it is for a parent to build a business with their bare hands or balance a job where they have to be the provider and they struggle and they sit in the living room floor with work papers spread out beside homework papers feeling overwhelmed and yet fighting through the f tears of frustration to do what needs to be done it's not quite understanding a child who goes to school every day and struggles with feeling alone It's not quite understanding your own child and seeing them change slowly, day after day, as they come in the door. And suddenly the child that was filled with so much joy and so much hope is now filled with so much bitterness, so much anger. And you don't know why. You don't understand why. I didn't raise them like this. I've always showed them love. I mean, maybe I could have been there for more, but I do got an electric bill I got to pay. I got to work. I've got no choice. And in many cases, that's, that's absolutely true. It's not knowing what to do when you see that. I'm feeling helpless, watching them feel helpless, or having a child that's struggling with depression and uh, suicidal tendencies. It's hard. Life can be hard. Life is going to be hard. It doesn't matter 
what you um, what you build your life on. If it's not on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and when the storms come, and when the storms come, and they will come, it's not a matter of of if they'll come, or it's not a matter of um, of any of that. But when they come, you're not going to be able to stand. That's why it's so important to to have a relationship with Jesus more than just punching a ticket to heaven, more than just saying, look, I, I said the prayer. I was in church in vacation Bible school when I was a kid. Um, I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm, I'm good to go. It's so much more than that. Jesus didn't just come to this world so that we can go to heaven. That was a huge part of it. But a byproduct of it was so that we can help bring heaven to earth. Right here. Right now. In a fallen world. That we are the temple of a holy, righteous spirit. That lives within us if we are indeed children of God. And so, when the storms of life hit and, and, and things begin to unravel in your life, what is it that you're placing your faith in? What does your family see you do? I'll give you an example. The first few funerals I did were from outlaws. I love them. They're my people, but they are wild. <laughs> In honor of a person who's died too young from drugs, what do you think everybody did? They went and got high. They went and got drunk. Instead of stopping for a second and recognizing the fact that you know, that's why we're all here together right now anyway is because he just couldn't let that stuff go. And so now we're trying to honor his memory by getting high and drunk and doing the same kind of drugs that had held, held him captive and held them captive too, to be quite honest with you. It's just an excuse. That's all it is. It's an excuse that we lean on, whether it's pills pot, speed, whatever, alcohol, food. Uh, a lot of people just regress, stay home, become a hermit. They don't see anything in themselves. But if you look deep enough, it's there. It's beneath the surface. It's beneath what you can see. It's what's unseen that really matters. That's what makes the beauty of being in a relationship with Jesus so amazing is that 
the standards that the world uses to judge us and the standards that we use to judge us is not the standards that God uses to judge us. The standard that God uses to judge us is solely based on one thing. Jesus. And the standards that God uses to love us is based on nothing. He loves us. There's nothing that can separate us from His love. Nothing. You are somebody. You are a masterpiece and you just don't know it. And there's things about you that, that you could never imagine the gifts and the abilities that God has given you that you are too scared to explore in your own mind and in your own spirit and in your own heart. You're too afraid to step out on the ledge and allow God to work in your life in a way that um, you're not in control. But if you ever do that, if you ever step back and allow Him to take over and to die to yourself and to live for Him. It will blow your mind where He'll carry you. I was a drug addict for many years, 15 years, I don't know how many years, a lot. And there were so many times I looked in the mirror and I'm telling you, I mean like, I could see just emptiness in my eyes. It was like I was looking at somebody that wasn't there. It was like when I looked in the mirror, I saw past who I was. And I was dead. And I hated myself. And no matter what I did, I felt empty. When people died, I mean, the thought of them dying saddened me, but... I didn't feel. I feel it. I feel it now. I feel life. Because life is in me now. Jesus is a well. And all those that drink from Jesus will be overflown with living water. It will spring up out of you. Your cup will be overflowed, but you've got to get yourself out of the way. It's so much more than just saying a prayer and saying, okay, you know, do this. It's, it's a dying to self. It says you, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. What does that mean? That means this, listen, if you're an addict and you really want to change, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to change or you really don't want to change. And I know that the enemy's in, inside of you. And I know the enemy could be inside of you and speaking to you and saying, you know, or just that, you know, I just, just want to keep these friends. Or And, and listen, they can be good, good friends to you. No matter what's going on in your life, uh, you've always been able to lean on them and, and always been able to trust them and all that. But listen... If you know, if they're, if, if they're a stumbling block, if you know that, you have to be willing to walk away from all that and walk into the arms of everything. Jesus said you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. 
He didn't say, wave at me, say, hey, Jesus, will you be my Lord? And then go right back to doing what you were doing. And there's a difference between him forgiving you because he'll forgive you. Then you just using it as a crutch and justifying your behavior. I mean, if you really want to weigh out, if you really want to feel, if you really want to live a life that um, means something, that matters, that has purpose, and I assure you, there's nothing about life that matters without Jesus. We tell ourselves that. We tell ourselves that. But in the end, when you're laying on your deathbed, and I've seen plenty of people there, I've seen people that's worth millions of dollars laying on their deathbed, empty. See, everything that they tried to attain and everything that they placed a value in their life in meant nothing. It really, it meant nothing to them at that moment. Why? Because it's all temporary. But the one reality that we all have to face one day is that we're all going to have to face that day. There is a time for everything, as the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes stated. And, uh, A lot of times we feel like we have to keep it together and be strong for others around us. And I want you know I want you to understand there's a time for that. But there's also a time not to be okay. And these kind of moments have a tendency to bring reflection in each one of our lives. So what is it that we should take away from today? Life is precious. Every breath is a gift from God. But it's up to us on how we choose to breathe it. I would say that some just because somebody's smiling doesn't mean that they're okay. And don't take for granted today what we might not have tomorrow. Look for that face in the crowd that needs encouragement. And love deeper. You know, we all have our own crosses to bear. But remember, on the way to the place where Jesus would hang to bear the weight of all our sins, even he had help carrying his cross. The struggle is real. And nobody knew that better than Jesus. And so... Cast your cares upon him, and please, lean not on your own understanding. Remember the little things, the details. I want to end with, uh, with this. When Elijah was at the point of giving up, and, and it's a place where more of us want to admit, in 1 Kings 19, 11-13, the Lord said, Go out and stand upon the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Now, he didn't sit there. He got up and he went. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Most of us, when we're seeking to hear from God, we look in the wind as it tears the face off the rocks beside us. We, we look to the earthquakes as the world, our world at least, around us crumbles. We look to the fire at the things that consume us in our lives. In our world. But he isn't there. He is in the gentle whisper. And when heaven meets earth and you drown out all the noises of this world, he is there. He is just and he is merciful. And when you approach the throne of his grace, he is there. Now, one thing I want to leave you with. I promise you God is real. I promise you that it's more than just punching a ticket for your own salvation. And that if you really want to experience true purpose in this world, seek His face. And if you're going through things, please get help. Talk to somebody. If you know somebody that's looking like um, like they just don't belong. You can see them when you go to church. I see them all the time. It's nothing on purpose. People get in their own little cliques. Start looking around the congregation and look for that face that looks lost and just go up and say, hi, hey, how are you doing? It doesn't matter whether they look like they have money and you don't or you don't have or or you've got money and they don't walk across there and be somebody to that person it could change their lives and yours forever